you'd like to open the Bible to Second Peter uh, three twelve to fourteen. That's page seventeen eighty nine in your few type Bibles. Second <clears throat> Peter three ten to fourteen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in, a, in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord God, uh, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And uh, Dean has the sermon this morning entitled, Letter from Simon Peter. I want to thank Brenda this morning and Albert because they, they're their operations people and Brenda spent time on getting the beautiful pictures behind us here. A few months ago, we received a letter from Simon Peter and uh, at the time... He promised that he would send another letter. And so this morning we have received a second letter from Simon Peter. And I'd like to share that with you this morning. I left you last time with your eyewitness account that this Jesus we have walked with for three years has ascended right up into the sky. And we stood there filled with wonderment. My friend Paul later made it abundantly clear that Jesus ascended right up to the right hand of God to the Father's throne. Because Jesus ate with us, we were able to touch him and know that he was also flesh and blood after his resurrection from the dead. He was just like, well, he was just like us, although he was also God. When he comes in the clouds of heaven, he will be the same as when he left. The scripture is clear on that. He also promised not to drink of the vine until he could drink it with us. And we would be with him in heaven. Peter pens, I could hardly wait. In amazement, as we looked up at our Lord ascending up into the sky, we had not expected this. I would describe this as a state of wonderment and chaos as well. What? would we do now? Our Lord was going away into the sky. I tried to make sense out of it. I began remembering things that we had experienced that early morning after fishing all night. Just after Jesus had risen from the dead, he met us on the shoreline of Galilee. And he asked me three times if I loved him. And I assured him that I did. But he kept on asking me and telling me, do you love me? And if you do, feed my sheep. He had given me my commission for the rest of my life, for three times he asked me, and three times I responded yes. He said these words over and over again, feed my sheep. I well remember the words found in Matthew 28, 
19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I put these two things together and I had my commission. I kept thinking, what if I had never met this Jesus? I would have been just an old fisherman without much hope for the future. Now as I write, later in my two books, I give my life to my Jesus and realize an eternal prize awaits us in the heavenly country. He told me that I would die a death early, and I chose to be crucified upside down in honor of my Savior. We have hope, and my job is to share this good news with everyone. My friend Luke recorded this command from Jesus to us, found in Luke twenty-four forty-nine. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem, and you will be endued with power from on high. He showed himself to us and met with us over a period of about 40 days after his resurrection, giving us evidence over and over again that he, it was he himself who had risen from the dead. Most of us believed in this man as the Christ, the Son of God, but Thomas doubted. Jesus tenderly allowed him to touch his hands on the wounds and in his side, and the nail-scarred hands I will never forget Thomas' words after that. My Lord and my God. We waited in Jerusalem as Jesus instructed us to do. We did not know what to do or expect. We were constantly in the temple praising God and thinking of these wonderful events. There were about 120 of us, including women there, who had loved Jesus and been with him as well. Now, because I had no more fear... Because now I had a commission and a mission for Jesus. Nothing was going to stand in my way. Jesus had promised us that the Holy Spirit would come upon us. And even though I was ready now to do anything for Jesus, I fully realized that it would be with the Holy Spirit who would actually work through me and my fellow apostles. The other thought that kept ringing through my mind was that this Jesus I loved was right now at the right hand of God up in heaven at this very moment on the throne of the universe ministering for us and interceding for us and all our fellow believers right down to the end of time. Oh, what a comfort that was for me. My friend Luke describes this in his book of Acts, what happened next, Acts 2, 1 to 4 and 6 to 8. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in the place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where we were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now as this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these they which speak Galilean? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, whereby we were born? 
two things hit us like a thunderbolt. First, this experience reminded us of the Old Testament history of the Tower of Babel, where God confounded the languages. But this time, it just increased my faith further. God is in charge, and he can do anything to further his cause. The other point was that Jesus had chosen very common men, fishermen, tax collectors. They were of no special education to start the movement and to start the first Christian church and to teach and preach the gospel. This way it would be obvious that God was doing this and not man. So the mighty educated scribes and Pharisees were not among us. This continually gave me courage that God was in charge directly from his throne where he resided. This continually gave me courage. Some of the very people who had been in the crowd and had cried, crucify him, crucify him, were now in the crowd before me. I could not wait to preach my first sermon. I did not have long to wait because of the day of Pentecost was upon me. I felt impressed to get up and preach my heart out to these Jews who had rejected my Lord and my Savior. The Jews accused us of having imbibed too much wine, and some mocked us. My friend Luke records my sermon in his book of Acts, the Apostles, Acts 2, 14, and onward. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Galilee, and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be it known unto you, and hearken to my words. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereby ye are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. Therefore, let the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I finished my sermon... And that same day, 3,000 souls were baptized. I was absolutely amazed. This had to be the Holy Spirit working on their hearts. There were people there from many different countries in that group. They had heard the story of Jesus and his gospel in their own language. My whole being was on fire for the Lord. The next day, John and I were going into the temple. We saw there a man who had been lame from his birth. His mother had brought him there to ask for handouts and money. We saw him there, and we simply told him to look up at us. John and I were just standing there, and I said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ 
of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I took him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately he was whole. Immediately. He could, not, he could walk. He started leaping and jumping uncontrollably and shouting praises to God. It was an awesome sight. He accompanied John and myself into the temple. The bystanders were amazed and filled with wonderment. And the crowd pressed upon us saying, How can this thing be? I was impressed that I had another chance to preach the message of Jesus and I took advantage of it. The people crowded around that of Solomon's porch in Jerusalem. Luke again records my sermon in Luke 3, 12 and onward. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Peace, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereby you are witnesses. And, this, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. This miracle happened right in front of you. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But these things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer and be afflicted and be fulfilled. Repent you, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out from the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord." Well, then when my sermon ended, the Jews laid hands on John and I and put us in prison until the next day, for now it was even time. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men that were converted were 5,000. I answered the temple authorities the next day when told to cease from testifying of this, of this Jesus we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The Holy Spirit was working in a mighty way. Luke records exciting things happening. There were so many people being baptized that the authorities arrested us repeatedly. But they were afraid to harm us due to the multitude of people following our preaching and being converted. People came daily to hear us talk about Jesus at the time the disciples believed that the gospel of Jesus was only for the Jews, Jesus sent me a dream that completely turned me around and changed my life. And this new truth hit me like lightning. It happened like this. Jesus sent a messenger to one named Cornelius, a non-Jew from Caesarea. He was a centurion, a Gentile. Luke records the story like this in Acts 10, 1-8. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, 
And when he looked on him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and thine alms are come up before me as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto him, them, he sent them to Joppa. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story myself. These men were on their way to see me. I had had a long day and I needed spiritual refreshment, so I was terribly hungry. But I was there on the rooftop to pray. Jesus gave me a vision and changed my life again. I became sleepy, fell into a trance or a vision. I saw what looked like heaven open and a great white sheet with all manner of creeping things on it. Fowls of the air, four-footed beasts, wild beasts, all these were on a sheet which came down from heaven. I then heard a voice from heaven saying, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. I spoke right up and answered, Lord, not so. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. This happened to me about three times. Then the voice said, what God has cleansed, do not call unclean. Now, I was confused as I had no idea what he was talking about. While I was in this state of doubt, three men whom Cornelius had sent came to the front gate of the house while I was on the roof and inquired if I was there. They said Cornelius had sent them and they wished to talk with me. I went down to them and heard their story. And then I realized God had sent them to me. They requested that I accompany them back to see Cornelius. Then I understood the gospel was also to give to the Gentiles, not only, just to the Jews. I want to interrupt Peter's letter for just a moment and tell you a modern story that I think relates to Peter's letter. The disciples went through some terrible times after Jesus went back to heaven. There was only one that lived to a ripe old age. That was John, who ended up on the Isle of Patmos and then in the church at Ephesus. The others all had early untimely deaths. Some of them were crucified. This story, I think, relates to some of their tribulation. There are people today who have experienced what Peter and the disciples experienced in a most unusual way. We should know that the ideas of Jesus have consequences, and his words changes lives. The Hanoi Hilton was a prison camp, a great prison for the airmen and soldiers who were captured during the Vietnam War. Our captured airmen were in that prison in the middle of that winter, and there was a room known as the break room. It was where every new prisoner was brought in to be tortured. They moved the men around in different prison camps early on, and then they brought them all back to Hanoi Hilton. The prisoners were tortured day after day. There some of them died while... After a while, the authorities seemed to soften a bit, and they were allowed to live in dormitories. In that prison camp in the middle of Hanoi, they developed a great desire on the part of many of the prisoners for the word of God. As their lives were in danger and they thought they would die before they ever reached home, they developed a great desire to know God. Just 
to hear God speak and just to listen to those familiar words again. The men attempted to reconstruct Bible stories as they had remembered them from their childhood. They had heard from their mothers and in their homes. This is how it went. They were not allowed to talk much out loud to each other, so they developed a secret sign. It was when they would whistle, Mary had a little lamb. When they heard that sound, they knew that somebody had thought of another Bible verse or another Bible story. Then the others knew that someone wanted to tell them what they had remembered. It was not very safe to communicate softly, even in whispers, but one would start to softly tell a group about Ruth and Boaz. Another would remember Gideon and his small band of soldiers. And another would tell about Jesus' birth and the resurrection and the shepherds, where for the first time the members in the choir were more than the members in the audience. They began with longing even for one Bible that they could pass around and read. After a while, the prison authorities let them have a Bible and allowed them to copy parts of it for just three hours per week. Three prisoners were appointed by the rest of them to be the ones who would copy the Bible. A lieutenant was the one who did most of the copying. He started with the New Testament with the Sermon on the Mount. The guard who was appointed to be with the prisoners was an especially mean man. He often put his elbow on the part of the Bible that he thought the prisoner was trying to copy to hide it from him. He also would talk loudly trying to distract the prisoner from his copying work. But the prisoner managed to copy large amounts of the New Testament for his fellow inmates. He took it back to his fellow prisoners and he frantically started to recopy it in small scraps of paper. They began to memorize these scriptures as the guards forced them to hand back what they had copied each week after they had had them for a few days. There was a tremendous yearning knowing to know God and they had a great desire to know the Bible better. The authorities allowed them to have their own communion service. By the courtyard wall, the prisoners had formed a quartet and they were allowed to sing the old rugged cross. Then they sang as a congregation and the guard let them sing Amazing Grace. Next, the story of the passion of Jesus that went something like this. And when they had bound him, they led him away. And when they had delivered him to Pilate, they stripped him and put a crown of thorns on his head. Then the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. As the leader looked out over his men, he knew that they had identified with Jesus. There were no atheists in the Hanoi Hilton. They knew what it was like to be bound, and they knew what it was like to be publicly derided, spit upon, and to be tortured. They saved some bread from the night before, and they also had some seaweed soup. And these were the emblems. Before they ate the small crust of bread, the leader said to the prisoners the words of Jesus, this is my body, broken for you. And he could look out over his men across the room. He saw one man that was blinded. Another prisoner had a bone sticking out of his groin with no medical help. There were men that knew brokenness. He saw another man with his eardrum ruptured because the guard had hit him too hard on the head. These men understood evil and persecution. One of the prisoners said that Jesus was with them there and they had 
a relationship with the unknown Christ. Well, back to Peter's letter, there were so many thousands of souls baptized that the Jewish authorities started arresting the disciples. Herod put James to death by beheading him. Finally, Herod came after me, and I was put in a dark, damp prison, writes Peter. Herod's intent was to kill me. I was chained by two chains to two guards. Although there were companies of soldiers to guard against my escape, they would put me to death the next morning. At least that was the plan. It was a pretty hopeless situation I was in, chained in the inner prison, waiting for execution. To keep my mind's eye on Jesus, I started remembering the day I was with him. I was sitting on the hard, cold floor in chains. I started to think, what am I doing here? I thought I had a commission from my Lord to give this message. Where was God now when I needed him the most? I started to doubt, but then my mind whirled back to the days spent with Jesus. I started remembering his words, his deeds, and his actions. I remembered, I remembered all the times I failed, but then I thought of walking on the water and Jesus lifting me up. I remembered the healing of two blind men. I remembered the feeding of the 5,000. I remembered the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. I remembered the healing of old blind Bartimaeus. I remembered the raising of the widow's son, the healing of the ten lepers, the healing of my mother-in-law, the healing of the Roman centurion's servant, the woman with the hemorrhage, the healing of the deaf and speechless man. And then I remembered the raising of Lazarus, and I renewed my faith as I thought of these events. I thought of Jesus' words... I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. So with these thoughts and the knowledge that the church members were praying for me, without ceasing, I finally fell asleep in my chains on the floor between two guards. I remember that I had peace in my heart, just trusting my Lord and my friend Jesus Suddenly there was a bright light and the heavenly being touched me and pulled me to my feet. The angel said, gird yourself, put on your sandals and cloak and follow me. I wasn't sure if I was in a dream or if it was real. I don't know. I didn't know. We went right past the sleeping soldiers, right out the iron gates that had opened up leading to the city. Would you believe it? This gate opened without hands? It opened up right in front of me. Nobody was touching it. It just opened wide. We walked together, that angel beside me, right out into the street of the city, and then this angel just disappeared. Only then did I really realize it was real. That was really an angel, and it was not a dream. And the angel had delivered me from prison. I quickly went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Many were gathered there praying for me. I knocked at the gate and Rhoda came to the door. She saw me and started jumping for joy and instead of letting me in, she ran back in the house and she told others that Peter was at the gate but they did not believe her and they thought she was mad or crazy. Finally, they came to let me in and they were astonished. I told them that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me and all was well. I took a little while to tell them my story, and then I went away to a different place to witness for the Lord. 
Herod was furious. He killed the soldiers who had guarded me. A few days later, he was given an oration about how great he was, and the people started calling him a god. And immediately the angel smote him, and he fell down right in front of those people and was in agony, and he died a few hours later, consumed by worms. Because he did not give God the glory, I tell you these things so that you will have hope and joy and secure knowledge in Jesus and trust him no matter what happens. If I could summarize my final thoughts about my time with Jesus, it would be this. Now remember, I walked with God for three years or so. It would be how he so tenderly, over and over, dealt with the unlovely, the downtrodden, the lepers, and such as Mary Magdalene. He gave hope and courage to those who no one else cared about, the mighty creator of the whole world taking time out to heal a dirty leper, taking time to heal an old woman. This is the same Jesus who will come in the clouds of heaven with all power and will destroy sin forever. I'm saying this now to all future believers in Jesus. He invites you to be with him in the heavenly country forever. I invite you to join me there. We will be there for one reason and for one reason only. We will have been saved by the grace of my friend, Jesus Christ. I must bring my letter to a close so I may summarize some of my memories quickly. Jesus loved to tell stories. He called them parables. I did not understand some of them at the time he told them, but I do now. The ones that stand out to me I want to talk about. Jesus told me about a wedding feast and the ones invited. These parables meant that the end of the world was what it was all about and a robe of Jesus' righteousness. And he offers his robe free to us if only we will take it and wear it. I learned a profound theme. The free robe is not a license to sin. Conversely, it draws us to want to know him more and to have sin a hateful thing in our minds. It's a priceless gift, the gift of salvation. In view of all that, I would rather die than sin, writes Peter. It was an earth-shattering moment when I first realized this truth. One day at evening was drawing nigh. We were sitting there on the grassy hillside looking down on the people below us. And as, as we were watching, there was a wedding party. Jesus immediately told us the parable of the ten virgins, also known as the story of the ten wedding guests. What a powerful story this was to me. Five were wise and five were foolish. This was a story of the end of time and the second coming of Jesus. The five wise ones had fortified their minds with scripture. And every day they were impressed with Jesus to read more about him, thinking about him, thereby transforming their minds, becoming ready to, re to meet the bridegroom. The amazing thing about this is that they all looked the same on the outside, all ten of them. But oh, on the inside, they were vastly different. The foolish ones tried frantically to buy from the wise ones. But you see, that's not possible. So they were lost due to their own fault. You see, salvation is a very serious matter. We are either saved or we're lost. There's no in-between. I also learned from this about the great war between my friend Jesus and Satan, and it affects our minds and our hearts our entire lifetime. Jesus said, you are either with me or you are against me. Then the miracles, oh, there were so many. 
Come join me as I relate a few and see God in action. That day we were walking toward the village of Nain. We all noticed a funeral procession. We saw the mother with her only boy, now dead, walking and weeping. Her only son had died. Jesus went right up toward her. He put his hand on the bier and said, Young man, I say unto you, Arise. I saw this with my own eyes. That dead boy just sat up and began to talk. His mother hugged him and splashed her tears all over him. This was typical of the Jesus I knew, always looking for and helping the helpless. We would walk through many villages and on our journeys and the many sick ones there, everyone in the village was healed. Sometimes they just touched his garment and they were healed. Sometimes they touched him. One day we were all walking together and Jairus, a high-ranking man of the Jews, came pleading to Jesus, saying that his daughter was so sick that he thought she would die. He begged Jesus to come and heal her. While he was speaking to a servant came and told Jairus that his daughter actually had died, and he suggested to him that he trouble Jesus no further. I will never forget Jesus' awesome response. He said, Be not afraid, only believe. Jesus took John and James and myself into that small bedroom where the girl lay. She was obviously dead. And he said to her, Little girl, I say unto you, arise. Immediately she sat up alive. Her parents just hugged her and wept for joy. There were so many other miracles I cannot even count them. And the sad fact was that time and time again when Jesus would perform a miracle or tell a parable about salvation, the Pharisees would then make plans to kill him. Jesus lived a life of such constant contact and complete trust in his Father that he was not afraid. He was not afraid of anything. Jesus was the kindest, most thoughtful person I had ever met. He would often take time to heal the humblest of humanity, such as the blind, the very old beggar. His ear was always open to hear the cry of someone in trouble. This was evident on resurrection morning when Mary of Magdala went to the tomb of Jesus She just could not be without him. She could not bear to be without him. And Jesus gave her probably the greatest privilege ever given to a human being. He allowed her to see him first after his resurrection. She told me that as she was reaching to cling to Jesus' feet, Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Through her tear-dimmed eyes, she ran and told us that she had seen Jesus and that he had risen. The rest of the story I'm writing in my epistles that I will be sending to the churches soon. I know in whom I have believed, said Peter. I invite you to be with me in the glorious land, the heaven where Jesus dwells, where everyone who loves and trusts him will enter the gates of the new Jerusalem. You will see him soon. Jesus said, I will save to the uttermost. I want to tell you, friends, I I was one of those uttermosts. Jesus often talked of his heavenly kingdom. 
He said he came to seek and to save those which are lost. And I want to tell you, if he can save a person like me, with all my blunders, he can save you. So never reject him. And I beg you, I beg you to be there in that new kingdom. Signed, Simon Peter. Amen. Our closing song is 109, Marvelous Grace. Marvelous Grace 109. Lord, we're all travelers just passing through this world. One day, as you have promised, you will come to take the redeemed ones home, those that have chosen to serve you, chosen to be your friend, chosen to love you. Oh, Lord, may each one here have that experience when you come in the clouds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.